Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. Monday edition is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Kuharski on a beach somewhere down in Florida. We wish him the best this week. Big show planned coming up throughout your Monday afternoon. 14-year NBA vet and now the host of the Believe in 76ers podcast, Eric Snow who has played with Allen Iverson, played with LeBron James, went up against Michael Jordan, has been observing these NBA Finals. He joins us in 20 minutes from right now. In our number three, Brandon Wright, 12-year NBA vet, friend of the show uh, from right here in Nashville, Tennessee, the former five-star recruit to UNC. He joins us in studio. That will be at 520 Eastern. And in our number two, about an hour from now, hour and a half from now, we have the umpire who threw out, ejected Clay Travis from the Little League game uh, just over a week ago. That will be an entertain me, entertaining segment as well. Chad, good afternoon. Good to see you. It'll be both entertaining and entertain me uh, in that entertain segment me. because it'll definitely entertain me as we talk to the umpire that ejected Clay Travis. You come to OutKick for award-winning journalism. Yes. And that's exactly what I've delivered for you. Uh, I put out the, the call. And uh, the response was immediate. And it was not even, first off, the response was immediate from OutKick fans and OutKick 360 fans. But the first reply I got was from Bill Akins, who is the umpire that ejected Clay. And he said, sure, why not? I'll do it. And immediately DM'd him, talked to him on the phone. Um, he I, listens I to think, our show. I think you're going to love this content that we'll be providing for you coming up a little bit later. This is not a work. This is completely real. Clay was absolutely ejected from his son's Little League game. This man absolutely gave him the quick hook from the game. And Bill Akins will join us in studio at 3.20 Central time. Uh, I know OutKick fans will be watching. I hope fans of sport will be watching. This is a, a big-time moment with the relations between umpire and fans, parents, being at an all-time low. We look forward to this segment coming up at 3.20. Uh, Hutton, I look forward to getting a new phone because I finally made it. I now possess a phone that is so old that I just found out right before we went on air today that it no longer works. Well, you had me scrambling this morning because you told me, hey, Hutton, I'm trying to, you were texting me, like I'm trying to call you, but it's taking, it's taking me to a Verizon pay center is what you told me. I'm like, oh, this is, this is not good because immediately I'm thinking, man, what, what update went on last night? What's wrong with my phone? Why is my number being routed to a pay center for Verizon Wireless? Uh, so I then, because uh, I'd already been using the phone this morning, I then had Claire call me. I called her, then had her call me. The call went through. Um, Davey Hudson, 
uh, in studio, called me, and the call went through. But yours kept going to a Verizon call center. And whenever I would try to call you, it goes straight to voicemail. So your provider shut down your phone completely this morning. Shut down my phone completely. So I was Sprint for years and years. Sprint was uh, merged with T-Mobile, or I guess T-Mobile bought Sprint. So now I'm a T-Mobile customer. And what was really freaky was my wife was working on this, and she said, call 611. That is the T-Mobile help center for your phone. I hit 611 on my phone. It took me to a Verizon help center. So I'm immediately thinking, have I been intercepted by the Chinese government? <laughs> like, what is going your on that now hacked. my phone is recognized as a Verizon phone? I've never spent a dime with Verizon. So all that was very weird. Uh, but my wife got on the phone with someone, and they said, oh, give us the make and model of your phone. And when it was purchased, oh, that doesn't even work anymore. You can go to like a T-Mobile location and get a new SIM card. That will bridge the gap before I can get a new phone. Here's the thing about this phone. It does everything that I need, and I love it. Very comfortable with it. Had it for years. So I really don't want to get a new phone. So what I'm going to do after the show today, I'm going to go get the new SIM card, and I'm going to ride this thing out for as long as I can. I watched the show Hacks on HBO, which is really funny, and one of the characters on that show gets in so much trouble with her phone uh, in tweeting the wrong thing or emailing the wrong thing that she wants to get a dumb phone. So she goes to a store and says, I just want something that can't, you know, can't text, yeah. that can't get online or anything else, can just make phone calls. And uh, it was funny watching the sales associate, you know, at, you just want this? Like, I think we have one of these in the back, an old relic of a dumb phone to go find. But maybe next for me is I go down and don't get a new iPhone, but go to a, a dumber phone. Well, People have asked me, like, what, what year, when, when they, we, we used to make fun of Clay's phone, uh, Clay's, Chad's phone all the time. I got Clay on my mind uh, with the umpire story. Um, you got this recent phone probably like nine years ago, if I had to guess. It was like eight or nine years ago. And I, I'm pretty sure it's an iPhone 7. I can probably look at my phone right now at the info and, and tell we you have, exactly I what have it is. I have a 13. Yeah. So, Sounds about right. <laughs> so I, I would describe Chad's phone as the phone you would give your kid if you wanted them to just have a phone that would be able to contact you in case of emergency, like their first quote unquote phone, even though it's, it's not worth literally anything. If they were to drop it, break it, anything like that, this is as old school as it gets. So old school that Sprint has now decommissioned it. You're no longer allowed to own this phone, Chad. Well, it's really remarkable that uh, look. I it's a badge of honor to me that I've been able to have a phone that works. It's for really this long difficult to pull off that I've aged out. I mean, I, when I got the news that oh, it's you haven't been hacked, we just can't support this phone anymore. I almost cried tears of joy because I'm thinking I successfully rode this thing out, did not upgrade. I've had all of the software updates, Hutton, that you say will slow down your phone. Has not really done that to me yet. This is the first thing that I've encountered, first obstacle that I've had to overcome. And that obstacle is that my phone is so old, it's not supported by a network anymore. Yeah, so, I, I don't think your phone is like, it, I think it's so old that even the iPhone hacking of the updates through Apple of trying to make your battery slower so you go get a new product. I don't even know if your phone has the technology in order to slow it down anymore. I think you're just used to the same pace. I'm like, uh, I'm like a little bit of a spoiler alert here, but I, I'm like Tom Cruise and Maverick having to learn how to fly the F-14 again. <laughs> That's what someone would have to do to hack this phone. They'd have to go back to ancient technology 
to try to hack me. My phone is so old, it's unhackable. That, that's where we've reached now. So I will, after the show today, Hutton, go get the new SIM card, but I'm still going to hold out as long as I can. If, if the new SIM card works, I'm going to see how long I can hold on to this bad boy. There are, there are two jobs that I have had in the past that gives me a better and, and larger respect overall for that job. Number one is the restaurant business and serving. I was, uh, for one month, little over four weeks, um, a server at Santa Fe, and it was the bane of my existence. That place I, had the best bread and butter, oh, the bread, by the way. The, the, yes, the, butter, the cinnamon butter. Yes, thank you. The cinnamon yeah. butter at Santa it Fe was, was awesome. amazing. It was right, awesome. Continue. Um, I hated that. That was, that was pure hell, uh, working at Santa Fe. Cinnamon um, butter heaven, working there hell. Yeah. Uh, the last thing you wanted to do was be serving on a Sunday afternoon when church let out. It was awful. Um, I quit. It's, it's the one job I actually quit. The other job, uh, and, and I was not good at, at that, and I have a further respect and always try to tip well because of that, because I would never go back into that industry. Um, the second one, I was a ref slash umpire, however you want to describe it, um, my senior year of high school during the summer, and that was my summer gig at the local civic center, and the parents that would get on not just me, I, 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 wasn't, I never quit this job. I actually kind of enjoyed it. But the coaches and the bickering that went back and forth, um, also misery. And I have a deeper respect for those that continue to do this um, and actually sign up for what's not a ton of money to go out and, and call these games and not only put up with the coaches, but the parents. Um, so we, we get a chance to do that with Bill Aikens uh, a bit later, dive into his experience with uh, ejecting Clay. We've had this conversation with Paul from last summer. Um, I've, I, I don't have kids playing in Little League, and I, I know emotions can get high, but I've been in the position of the umpire where you want to turn around and give someone in the middle finger and, and tell them to GTFO. Um, and I don't think Bill Aikens did that to Clay, but he did tell him, you're out of here. Among other things. Immediate. And he said he'd be listening on Monday. Immediate hook. <laughs> Look, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot we can get into uh, with oh, this Clay wait. ejection story. And we'll, we'll go, I mean, this is kind of, you know, not necessarily a cross-examination, but we invited Bill in studio to give his account of everything that happened because uh, almost 2 million people have watched the video of Clay by now uh, across every platform of him ranting about why he got kicked out of his son's Little League game. And the response has been pretty universally negative to Clay, yeah. which gives me hope for the umpire community and for people respecting that job, which is a great thing. But the problem, Chad, is most of the people that are going to these games, it's 90% people sit there and they cheer on their, their kid and the others or whatever. But it, there are, I would say, it's larger than you would expect. It's about 10% going to my, um, uh, my nephew's game. Um, it's, it, there's a larger percentage than just a two or 3% of parents that get on to it's the too much or the coaches. It's too much. And I, look, I, when I was uh, in high school, I was a basketball official. So I have the same level of respect for those that, that choose to do it. Here's the thing where I'll completely disagree with Clay. Clay goes into this professional responsibility type tirade. Well, they're the only ones out there getting paid. Well, I challenge Clay and anyone else the money you make to umpire games is not worth it. it this no. is not someone making so much money on the side 
that it's really affecting their bottom uh, unless line. Unless he's running the league. There, were the, there was no. a guy that was running a, the Civic Center League where I worked that would employ other people to help ump. But he would be he was the main official slash umpire for this league. And you would sign up, and he was more or less the manager and director of the league. Yeah, and look, I mean, they that are... That was his job. They are... They're not volunteer, right? I mean, they're no. getting paid something. So I understand in principle that, yes... The parents are paying for their kid to be in the league. The kid isn't being paid anything. They're out there for the love of the game. But when you're showing up on the weekend and not doing something fun or hanging out with your own family and you've decided to go umpire or officiate any game, you're not making a lot of money to do that. It's almost a public service to continue to have these leagues and to have things where our kids can go and play sports. So... Now, I understand that that part of it. And look, I got bashed for a tweet making an assumption about the umpire that he just hated Clay because that was the appearance because he immediately turned to Clay and said, you can go talk about this on your radio show all you want. I don't care. You're out of here. Right. To which I think, okay, the guy's a Democrat and he hates Clay. That was my initial uh, assumption and knew who he was right away and knew who his kid was. But after talking to Bill, and I think when we talk to him and the audience hears from him, assumptions sometimes can be wrong. And I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, and he'll be the first to admit a thing or two also when we talk to him later. Um, look, Clay got crushed over this. I think, Hutton, we see this a lot of times. People that are all in on Clay will defend him to the death no matter what. And people who don't like Clay are looking for any reason to attack him. And they got one when he got tossed from his son's game and then went and bragged about it. So looking forward to this segment coming up a little bit later. I think it's a lot of issues we talk about on this show. I was surprised to hear Paul Koharski uh, was the most vocal against Clay, given his situation we discussed on this show a year ago, uh, where he got into it with an opposing parent at a game and was essentially asked to leave and wasn't defended by the other parents on his team. Well, and a first base uh, so or third base coach. I, I, don't, I don't say that to Barry Paul. I say that to say I figured he would understand that when your kid is involved, emotions run high at youth sporting events, right? Uh, I figured he would have a little bit more empathy for that, but he did not. So looking forward to this segment coming up later. Yeah, that's going to be great. That'll be around uh, 320 Central, 420 Eastern uh, this afternoon. Eric Snow is about to join us in about seven minutes. But uh, quickly, uh, Warriors and Celtics last night, Golden State able to even the series out against Boston uh, with as dominant of a third quarter, well, nearly as dominant as a third quarter, as the way Boston was able to close them out in game one 107 88 uh, the final score golden state forced 19 turnovers they turned those 19 turnovers into 33 points game one boston won the points in the paint by eight or nine last night 40 to 24 was the score in the numbers in the paint and that was lopsided in the warriors favor complete 180 from what we saw in game one now the series is tied going to Boston for Game 3, which is coming up on Wednesday. So your, your quick NBA Finals schedule. Wednesday, Friday, Monday. Games 3, 4, and 5. Wednesday, Friday, Monday. All of those games will be tipping off at 8 o'clock Central Time um, as they head to Boston and then back to Golden State for Game 5. Well, I'm looking forward to an actual one-day-off-in-the-middle schedule coming up with that Wednesday-Friday break, which makes a lot more sense. We're going to talk to Eric Snow about this, a fellow Michigan State alum, Draymond Green, in that series. His impact on that game, too, was immeasurable. 
I, I thought the attitude that he brought really helped Golden State. And I, I watched that guy play, and he does things that are so unorthodox. I mean, there's you know reports that he was trying to pull people's shorts off last night to get in their head. It's crazy watching him play. And there are times where I'm, I'm watching, I'm thinking, what is the other player supposed to do? You know, one time he just runs through Grant Williams during the game, and I think they called a foul on Grant Williams, and he gets teed up because him and Grant Williams well, are getting is, physical. This is why it's crazy to watch him in play. In the first series of the NBA, uh, NBA playoffs, I was saying Steve Kerr needs to pipe down because he has Draymond Green on his roster yeah. whenever he's calling other players dirty. Um, and you can, it could be a dirty play, but when you have Draymond Green doing this on a nightly basis, and, and not to the point where it's anything egregious or suspended worthy, uh, that's not what I'm getting at, but you have, the, you have the guy that if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not there, if you're playing against him, you hate him. Draymond's that player every night for the opposition. And we're seeing that. Last night, he was he's a huge factor in that. And Steph, Steph Curry, um, he's in rhythm and flow of the, of the matchup. And you look up and you go, man, he's had a bigger impact on this game than what you may think just while watching this as the full four quarters play out. He was exceptional last night. And then the big Boston players were no-shows. In game two, that was the main difference in in the the game two matchup and why Golden State's able to even the series. Close game at the half, and then all Golden State in the third quarter. We've already got a little movement going on on our YouTube page right now and on Twitter, where people are saying at four twenty Eastern, it's hashtag Back the Blue coming up with our interview with the umpire. So some people already taking sides. <laughs> coming up, we dive into the NBA Finals with Eric Snow who is a part of the Believe in 76ers podcast, 14-year NBA vet. We talk his career history and get his perspective on the NBA Finals matchup playing out right now between Golden State and Boston. Eric Snow next on OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Glad you're with us across the OutKick Network with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, 6th and Peabody, our location here in Music City, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Our next guest, 14-year NBA vet, played in three NBA Finals uh, against the, or excuse me, with the, the Supersonics, the 76ers, and the Cavs, and against some all-time greats going up for those title runs. Eric Snow, our guest, uh, former point guard in the league, now with the Believe in 76ers podcast, and you can find their audio wherever you download your podcast. Eric, great to have you on the show this afternoon. Hope you're doing well, man. I'm doing, I'm doing great. How are you all doing? We, we are very well. Uh, are you yeah. anticipating the deep series that many thought could happen but weren't willing to say would happen against Boston and against Golden State after last night's performance to even the series at one apiece? Well, I had to stick with my, um, my pick before um, you know, the series. I picked Boston to win in six. So uh, I'm sticking with that. Well, and I'm guessing that has something to do because you were a guy known as a lockdown defender, and Boston's maybe the best defensive team in the league. Uh, when you watch them play, they, they make life difficult. 
at, at times. Is that part of the reason you like the Celtics in the series? Yeah, I, I like that. I just think um, also if, you know, they're one through seven, obviously I think Steph Curry is the best player on the court, but I think one through seven, the consistency in the in the the way you play your role and dominating your role, I thought Boston was was the best team. Is there such thing as going too far? And I asked that in relationship to Draymond Green and some oh. of his antics over the course of a game. He is a fellow Michigan State Spartan like yourself, so I know you're a little bit biased with this answer. <laughs> but you know, I, I watch the guy play, and I think, man, it'd be great to have him on your side. But if I'm playing against him, there are times where he's just nutso that I have no clue what he's doing or what, what direction he's going. Uh, I'm sure you've been around guys like that in the course of your career. Yeah, I mean, he straddles the line. I mean, no doubt about it. Um, I think you just got to – the thing you got to be careful about is, you know, each game is different referees and they have different gauges. So some one referee may let you kind of do a little more, but the next game the other one won't will not let you do that. So I think you got to be gauging it because he's such an important part of their team that I don't want to see something happen where now he's no longer available. So I do think he needs to be careful. I thought he kind of pushed the envelope, um, you know, in game two, which that could have easily been a double technical between he and Jalen Brown, and he would have been out the game. Who knows how the game could have went from that point on. Eric Snow, our guest. Eric, I'll set this – Next question up by saying, in the last couple of weeks, I have said that I think the NBA has missed out on an opportunity to build young stars early in the playoffs because while we've had long series, in many cases, each game, game to game in those series, are very lopsided one way or the other. Um, so if I'm just randomly checking a score and I see that it's 68-38, I'm, very, I'm not likely staying on that game very long in the blowout part of it, of the postseason. Does the NBA have a blowout problem, or am I just picking up on it way too late in the process? Well, I, I don't think it's a problem, but I do do think that um, you know the competitiveness kind of kind of goes away in games where you don't really see as many teams kind of fighting back and team jumps on them. You, you just the, the games have gotten out of hand. I think this season it's probably been maybe. It looked appeared to be worse than it probably was in other years. So I don't think it's an issue. I just think that early in those series, you you do have some teams that are significantly better than others. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, it, it was it was noticed and it was very noticeable from other people we, I had conversations with. But I wouldn't necessarily consider it a problem. I just think um, as the league goes on, and I, I firmly believe like. Now the one thing that they have is they have more rest days and all those days in between where people are able to get get their proper rest. And now you will see teams that's maybe not as tired. The travel arrangements are different. So I think that you'll you'll probably see a better the better teams usually play better. What what was odd to me though is just how from one game to the next we would see the other team be yes. the team that got hot and. I don't. I just don't understand that mentality of the the blowout mindset of well, we'll just wait till next game and maybe we'll be the hot team. It, that no, again, I'm this not. is early in the playoffs that I'm referring to, not now. I, I agree with you. I, I do agree with um, the point where you know you you blow a team out, then the next game they do it to you. I mean, I, I've experienced that um, in my career playing, 
just not very often. Yeah. You, you know, so I just think that it was it, I'm used to seeing it, but it was almost like every series was like that. So so I understand where you come from. I just think that this was hopefully this was just one of those years where it was like that. And it's not something that's going to be a continuing trend. Is the process in Philly working? Because you know that's become sort of a punchline with certain people with the process. Do you feel like it's 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 paying off right now for the Sixers? I, I believe it it paid off when when you when the, one of those guys that you tanked for you those draft picks became Joel Embiid, he became an MVP candidate. Um, I think it paid off, but I, I no longer consider it the process um, because it's been trades. It's been it's a totally different makeup. The um, people up top are all different. So I no longer consider that, um, you know, uh, the process because I've seen teams that during that same amount of time drastically change their team without going through the, you know, amount of losses that Philadelphia was, you know, Philadelphia received. So I think you got to move on from that. And right now you got a chance to, you know, Boston, we finished the season the same record as Boston. And they're in the finals right now, so you know you're close. You just got to address it. And I don't, I don't see where being thinking it's a process or anything like that. The process has to be finished by now. Like you got to, you got to move on past that. Eric Snow, our guest, he is the host of the Believe in Seventy Sixers podcast. You can find that wherever you download your audio. Eric, are you more when you're on shows like this talking with fans? Do you get more questions about playing with LeBron or Allen Iverson? Um, to be honest with you, you know, most of the questions are Allen Iverson and they end up being more about LeBron when LeBron's usually when LeBron's playing. I think if the, yeah. if the Lakers were playing, they would probably lean towards LeBron a little more. Um, but when they're not in season, you know, most people ask me about Allen, but I can usually tell people's age or when they started watching <laughs> basketball, who they liked the most. But, you know, depending on which which person they ask about. That's where I was going to go with that. I, I know less about Iverson uh, growing up watching him. I, I vividly remember the NBA Finals where you guys were taking on the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq in, what, 2001, I think it was. Maybe just after that. But the 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 stories that we would hear about him, we know the practice rant. Uh, uh, wh- where were you for that, by the way? The practice rant. I, I had did my press conference earlier in the day. So I was at home and, you know, back then everything didn't come on television like it, like it does now, or it wasn't instant. So um, I actually was at home and one of my friends like called me, was like, yo, what, what is AI talking about? And, and that's when TNT kind of just took all of his words and just only played practice. Like where they were counting, like how many times he said practice. Um, but I kind of knew like where the conversation was supposed to go. <laughs> so I didn't really take it like, like it, like that. I mean, it was a funny press conference, you know, the honest, to be honest with you, it was funny, but he, he was, you know, somewhat confused because it was, you know, I had a conversation with coach Brown after I had spoke and he had mentioned like, we got to have Alan, practice so we got to have Allen be Allen Iverson in practice not Allen practice um so that's when Allen came in he was confused why they were saying he didn't practice I think you know coach Brown just wanted him to be the dominant player in our practices to help everybody get better 
Um, but it was never about him not, not practicing. And, and Chad, I mean, we would laugh about it too, by the way, Eric, because it's like, <laughs> watch the guy play. I mean, he speaks for itself in the games. Well, in, in watching the guy play, and I'm a huge Iverson fan, uh, passing wasn't his strong suit. Uh, being unselfish wasn't always his strong suit. LeBron James is the opposite. So I think you're a, a fascinating person to talk to, Eric, in that you played with an all-time superstar that is known for being almost too unselfish at times and a great passer in LeBron James, and you played with a guy that most people think was a ball hog, was a volume yeah, I mean, shooter that would not just, want to give it up, right? Well, it's different. Like That's, that's what people think. And that's how people kind of view it and see it. But from my perspective um, and playing in my position, it was it was different because um, AI allowed me to be who I was. So he shot the ball a lot, but he didn't dominate the basketball. Whereas LeBron James, he's such a dynamic player and the things that he can do, but he does them with the basketball. So that pushes a guy like me to the wing where I'm less effective. So it's just different in how you look at it, where he's able to give the ball up more, but he's also has the ball more, whereas AI just caught it and shot it. So it's just it's just different how you view it. it what to me, I didn't see one being selfish and another not being selfish. I just think that it was just their best way to help the team win or their best way to dominate. It's clear that Larry Brown thinks very highly of you. You know, he, he's employed you at, at a couple different spots. Obviously, you played for him in Philly. He went on and won the title with the Pistons. He's been so many different places in both yeah. college and the NBA. What was it like learning from him about just the structure of a team? Uh, it was great. I mean, Coach Brown's the best coach I've, I've ever had. Um, and I think the, the best part about him that never really gets mentioned, I think, don't get it mentioned enough, is his in-game adjustments. Um, just being able to see things being able to make an adjustment and he helped me uh, a great deal. He gave me, you know, the luxury to be able to kind of be a point guard or be a coach on the court, but he also had those expectations for me. So uh, he taught me a, a great deal about the game of life and the game of basketball as well. Eric Snow, our guest, the Supersonics team you were a part of that went to the finals, ran into Jordan and the Bulls, arguably the best team ever. And that Seattle team was great that year too. Um, 64 wins. Yes, <laughs> yes. But no one talks about those 64 wins yeah. because of what Jordan and Pippen and those guys were doing. Uh, yeah. 76ers team ran into Kobe and Shaq, as we mentioned. And then the Cavs team you were a part of went up against the Spurs uh, yes. with Robinson and Duncan and that group. Of those three finals, which finals do you feel like you had the best shot at winning as a part of the team that ended up losing the Larry O'Brien trophy? Believe it or not, 2001. Um, and the reason why I say that is, one, um, we had a chance to get home court the last game of the year, and our guys didn't play. So we ended up getting the, tie the same record as the Lakers, and we lost the tiebreaker. Um, we, you know, and then we weren't injured. I mean, we were injured. I had a broken ankle. AI was injured. And George Lynch, who was our starting three, didn't play. Um, and up until that series, we had, I don't, I don't remember. I know we had very much a lot of good success playing them, especially at home. So if things kind of went our way, being healthy in home court, I mean, I would like our chances in that series. Um, the Bulls in 96, I, I, 
I didn't, you know, that's probably a tough one right there. <laughs> um, the, the Cavs, even though we had played the Spurs historically good, you know, leading up to that, um, leading up to that, you know, that series, it was still an uphill battle, even though I think if Larry Hughes our starting guard would have played, we would have performed better, but I think that one would have been um, tougher too. But I, I, if I had to pick one, I would say 2001, but even that was tough. I mean, you know, with those two guys yeah. that they had, and they were undefeated up until the point where we played them, and they played some really good teams. So that was an uphill battle too, but I guess I had to choose one. <laughs> when you uh, when the last dance comes out, of course, the Bulls, Michael Jordan documentary, do you fast forward right to the series with the Sonics and see what he has to say about that and the back and forth with him and Gary Payton, or do you sit and enjoy all of those episodes? Yeah, I watched I watched all the episodes, and you know, because I didn't really know like what was coming, um, and it was interesting. Like the Sonics part, of course, you know, I have younger kids that didn't see me play, um, and I have you know my older boys kind of see me play at the end of my career, so they were excited to kind of see me in the movie. You know, in the show yeah, yeah. with the Sonics, even though I'm just out there. Um, so we had some little pausing from that standpoint. And as far as MJ and Gary, like, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me anything to come out of, you know, their mouths. I mean, they, they talking and yapping and both very confident players. So um, it was interesting to, to, to see, to be a part of those battles. And then now see people kind of talk about it. Pretty interesting. Eric Snow, our guest, Eric, you can confirm this uh, urban myth for me. Uh, but with Iverson, I've, I've been told the story, and again, I, I haven't heard it recently, that on the road, he, wouldn't ever, he, he would never pack a bag. Like, he would just go shopping in the city and then leave whatever he left in the hotel room, whatever he's wearing, he took with him, and they would just do that on road trips. Can you confirm that? And if that's true, how epic of a story is that? I mean, I can confirm that he's done that before. But I can also confirm that he didn't do that all the time. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was I was trying to wrap my head over like, man, imagine going yeah, no, to city by city and buying it, something it was, new. It was almost like he didn't bring anything and he went and got some, some stuff. So, and he like a trip, he didn't bring a bag. So, we went to multiple places. So those multiple places, he bought different stuff, and he didn't have a bag to really take the rest of the stuff. So he just left. So it wasn't something that he did. It was just maybe something that happened. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. So yes. your your older brother plays football at Michigan State. You're a basketball star at Michigan State. You got a son now playing football at Michigan State. How cool yes. is that to see multiple generations wearing the Spartan green? Man, awesome. I mean, you know, it, it gives me – I'm already going to watch the Michigan State game, so now <laughs> uh, it's even better. Um, you know, my brother went there, and so even though I was an Ohio State fan growing up, um, you know, you know, becoming that green and white from seeing him play, and then then going there, and you know, have a great you know passion for the for the university. Um, so to see him go there and see him, you know, make his decision, he choose and having success and having fun, it's a, it's a great feeling to see that um, for him to be able to experience that and experience something that I already had a passion in, and now he's developing his own passion. You were a big football player too, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was much better in football than basketball, if you can believe that. But then, why basketball? I liked basketball more. Uh, it wasn't necessarily better. I just had a liking for it. Um, football, I, I really, there was nothing like the games. I, I enjoyed the game. 
I think it was just the path of getting to the games, all of the weights and all the running and doing all that running for months and not being to play, play a game. Whereas basketball, even though your season isn't in, but you can still play the game. So I think that was kind of a turnoff for me. And I would always tell people, you know, you're going to get hurt or you're going to do this and that. You don't take it serious. So it kind of like kind of pushed me away a little bit. You know, my um, our high school football coach, Tom McDaniels, is Josh McDaniels' dad. So, you know, we had some, um, you know, really good coach, really good program in Ken McKinley in, in Ohio. Yeah, and you, you, as you mentioned, you grew up in Canton. We'll actually be up there for the USFL championship uh, here in less than a month. Do, do you have any suggestions of, of where we need to go other than the Pro Football Hall of Fame when we're in Canton? Uh, yeah, I'll let you know off camera. Okay, good. <laughs> good. I like that. I, I like those suggestions. That's so secret that you can't say it on air. I, you, I love that. Are you a Bengals or Browns fan? Oh, Browns. I'm north, northern Ohio, man. I don't know much. Look, look it's, I can get to Michigan State before I can get to Cincinnati. Okay. All right. Well, Proud you mentioned Ohio State, so you yeah, it's not really it's not really that close. I got you. I got you. Eric Snow has been our guest. Tell us about the podcast, uh, Believe in Seventy Sixers, and uh, how often you're doing this. And uh, of course, I've already mentioned people can find yeah. this literally wherever they listen to podcasts. Yeah, we do it once a week during the off season, um, twice during the season. You know, all Seventy Sixers talking, you know, just different things that happen with the 76ers, where they're going to go, where we think they're going to go, our personal opinions. And, and we do talk about other things, NBA, um, but pr- primarily the 76ers. Did you like the trade at the time, Ben Simmons and, and Harden? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Ben. I, I like Ben a lot. I just felt that um, the relationship had ended. You know, I just I just thought that, you had to go a different direction. And he, he obviously thought the same thing. Um, I, I, for, I see James for what James did. And, you know, statistically, I thought it was good. I just, I don't have the expectations on James like others do. I think that falls more on the shoulders of Joel and um, Tobias Harris as well, uh, being the, the one, two, and three. I think that you know, the commitment to James to me is good. It's just a matter of how many more years you want to make that commitment. Because I think the window is smaller than maybe other people think as far as winning the championship. Eric Snow has Boston in six for the title. The Warriors win if what? They keep defending the way they did in game two. And they did that to perfection. Especially, I mean, a great job in the paint. The whole, the whole series. I mean, essentially, they've won seven out of the eight quarters when they were the most dominant. The first two, you know, that's just that fourth quarter. They really had a lot of slippage. Um, other than that, they've been the most dominant team. Now, we'll see if they can carry over to the road because um, when we think of the Warriors, we're thinking like, hey, it's this championship pedigree and all these guys. But they still have a lot of guys that haven't done it in the finals on the road. So there's still quite a few guys on that team that haven't done it yet. So it'll be interesting to see how they play, um, especially in Boston, which is extremely tough to play. Game three coming up on Wednesday night. Eric, thank you so much for uh, for the time, man. Hopefully this won't be the last time we have you on the show and we'll be checking out the podcast for sure. Definitely. Talk to you soon. All right. There's Eric Snow, NBA vet, point guard, playing with Iverson, LeBron. Check out the Believe in 76ers podcast 
uh, for more of that type of discussion and analysis. He was one of the best defenders in the game in that era. Uh, He was incredible to watch. Everyone immediately associates him with those Sixers teams. I do, too, with that 2001 team. But uh, really good, long career for Eric Snow. Yeah, and and whenever he arrived in Philly off the trade from Seattle, that that following season, they moved – Iverson to the two because he was running the point guard. They moved him to the two and had Eric start at the point guard position. Coming up, headlines and uh, uh, more talk about what's going on over the weekend, including Kamar Rocker, former first-round pick last year in Major League Baseball for the Mets. Of course, never ends up with the Mets. And now he's playing in an independent league and showing out, the former Vandy star. We'll give you the, the update there and what's next for Kamar Rocker. Then headlines uh, as we begin hour number two, which includes the Broncos' potential sale to a billionaire. And Rafi Nadal just continues his legacy of dominance in the majors. That and more straight ahead. Outkick 360 rolls on. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Some big news in the world of golf. Outkick 360 rolls on. Phil Mickelson is playing this week in the first event for the Live Golf Tour that's going to tee off in London. This is the same tour where all the controversy uh, flooded in after his comments about the PGA's greed and um, how he was considering playing for that tour. Well, since then, we haven't seen him. Uh, We've barely heard from him other than uh, liking a tweet and a response to something that Clay has posted on social media. We missed him for the Masters. We missed him for the PGA Championship. He's going to play this week along with a handful of other multi-time either major winners or tour winners, including Dustin Johnson and Martin Kamer, or Keimer, excuse me, Sergio Garcia, uh, Charles Schwartzel, Graham McDowell, Louis Oosthuizen, Kevin Na over the weekend uh, resigned from the PGA saying that he no longer is a part of the, pro, the, the, the PGA in order to go play on this tour and not face fines or suspension. Mickelson's back, Chad, and he's doing it now on the heels of a number of other players going to London this weekend to participate in this tournament where the prize package is unbelievable. Dustin Johnson, just by signing up, has doubled the amount of money he's made on tour already. Yeah, he, he's going to lose his sponsorships, but it's going to more than make up for what he's going to make uh, on this tour. So, And everything you read about Dustin Johnson, he's a pretty simple guy. He likes playing golf and he likes making money. And he's not really thinking about any geopolitical issues with Saudi Arabia and taking this money. There's going to be more like that. Hutton, I'm curious to see if this first tournament is successful and it's professionally run and it has you know the appearance of it looks good and everything goes smooth, and you get this tournament in, maybe one or two more, with no serious issues, 
how many other tour professionals can they just buy to leave like Kevin Na to just completely resign from the PGA Tour to join this tour? I mean, if things start going smooth with this, this tour, I am curious how many will jump ship. No one backed Phil Mickelson that I could see with his statements, right? But Dustin Johnson is backing him with his actions. These other tour professionals are backing Phil well, with, with their actions. How many more? Well, this, this, the geopolitical aspect of this, um, there are a number of professional organizations that are either involved with Saudi money or they've gone to Saudi or the Middle East to hold events, you know, UFC, WWE, and others. Meanwhile, the one thing that people have failed to even mention in this, because everyone's bashed Mickelson for his public comments, I didn't see near the backlash for Dustin Johnson, and mm-hmm. immediately the response to Mickelson is, oh, go take that blood money. If you look at the, the Golf Invitational Series schedule, yes, this week's in, it's in London. Five of the next handful of events, five of the next seven events are played in the States. Portland, Jersey, Boston, Chicago, Miami. This is all after the London event. In fact, only one will be played in Jeddah, which coincidentally is where annually the WWE goes to hold a massive event for their wrestling company. Um, And that's in October. The rest are either going to be played here in the States or in Thailand, in Bangkok, and then London this week. And millions are at stake. Millions more than what they would be making for participating with the PGA. More on this straight ahead as we kick off the headlines on OutKick 360.